Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Introducing The Fountain Road Files. A new horror fiction podcast from unexplained creator Richard McLean Smith. In March 2020, 27-year-old cafe worker Ben Williams began recording an audio diary of the coronavirus pandemic. Two months later, he was found dead in the South London flat where he was spending lockdown alone. Or so he thought. Search The Fountain Road Files wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information, go to thefountainroadfiles.com. Some know it as the crossroads of America, others as the home of Hawkins and the gateway to the Upside Down, but I've only ever known it as Eerie. There wasn't much that I wanted more as a kid than to be Marshall Teller, uprooted from his home in New Jersey to live among the freaks and weirdos of Erie, Indiana. And by freaks and weirdos, of course, I mean the best kind of people. I have no idea what inspired writers Jose Rivera and Carl Schaefer to use the Hugia State as the location for one of the greatest TV shows of all time, or what exactly they thought was eerie about it. But if the following story is anything to go by, it certainly earned its reputation. You're listening to Unexplained, and I'm Richard McLean Smith. The doctor asked for the family to be sent in, then sat back in his chair as one by one, 31-year-old Latoya Ammons and her three children filed into his office, followed by Latoya's mother, Rosa. Dr. Onyukwo waited for them to take a seat, then asked what the problem was. Latoya took a moment to gather her thoughts. It's the demons in our home, she said. They're attacking the children. The doctor took a moment to process. Demons, he said, as he pulled out a pad and paper. What do you mean exactly? Latoya looked to her mother for reassurance, 
and Rosa nodded for her to continue. It had all started a few months before, back in December 2011, shortly after the family had moved into a new home. The property, a modest one-storey rental on Carolina Street, a quiet leafy suburb on the outskirts of Gary, Indiana, was meant to be a fresh start. Within days of moving, however, there were ominous signs. It was Rosa who noticed it first, the way the flies swarmed all over the screen door, as if it were rotting meat, despite it being the middle of winter at the time, and how, despite their rigorous efforts to get rid of them, their number never seemed to diminish. Then one night, not long after the flies appeared, Latoya had just put the children to bed when she heard something moving above her, like someone pacing about on the ceiling. She hadn't thought much of it until a few nights later, when she and Rosa heard the basement door creak open when no one was near it. Despite it being locked from that point on, they continued to hear it open. Another time, after Rosa heard the basement door open again, she found a series of wet footprints coming away from it, as if someone had just walked up into the house. Late one evening in March, after a member of their extended family had died, a number of friends and family were gathered at the house to mourn. With the children in bed, a cry was heard, coming from one of the bedrooms where Latoya's 12-year-old daughter and her cousin were sleeping. Running to the room, Latoya pushed open the door just in time to see her daughter appearing to fall from the air onto her bed, despite being fast asleep. The cry had come from the clearly terrified cousin. When asked what had happened, she claimed to have seen the girl drift up from the bed, hang in the air for a moment, and then collapse back down onto the mattress. Concerned that something otherworldly was happening in her home, the deeply religious Latoya turned to the church for help. Following the advice of one representative, she cleaned her house from top to bottom with ammonia, then used a holy oil to draw crosses on each door and window frame to keep out any malicious spirits. That night, as she put the children to bed, she used the same oil to mark a small cross on each of their foreheads. But as Latoya explained to the doctor, the spirits would not be deterred. One afternoon, Latoya overheard her seven-year-old son talking to someone inside a cupboard. When she asked him who he was speaking to, he replied simply that it was his friend. He always asked him to play in the cupboard, he said. But there's no one there, said Latoya. You can't see him because he's dead replied her son. It wasn't long after that that Latoya's nine-year-old son began talking in odd tones about knowing what death was like, and her daughter claimed to be hearing voices, telling her she would die soon and that she would never see her family again. Back in the doctor's office, Dr. Onyoku began making some notes. Clearly, he wrote, the family were experiencing some sort of mass delusion that there were ghosts in the house, or they were hallucinating, perhaps. But as he spelled out the words, he became aware of a strange gurgling sound. Looking up, he realised it was coming from the youngest boy. As the gurgle became more of a growl, 
the boy's face began to screw up in anger. In an instant, the doctor watched with astonishment as the boy leapt from the chair and charged against the wall, almost as if something had thrown him across the room, and then he collapsed to the floor, unconscious. As Latoya gathered him up and cradled him in her arms, the stunned doctor yelled for his staff to call 911. After being rushed to the ER of a nearby hospital, the young boy and the rest of the family were thankfully found to be in good health. However, with both Latoya and her children maintaining that they were under attack from demons, a decision was made to call the Department of Child Services for help. It had just gone 8.45pm when DCS case manager Valerie Washington arrived at the North Lake campus of Methodist Hospitals. After being debriefed by the medical staff, she was led into a consultation room to speak with Latoya and Rosa, while the children were kept in a separate room next door. No sooner had Latoya started telling Valerie what had been happening, they heard that strange growling sound again coming from the adjacent room. Then her oldest son screamed for help. The women ran next door, shocked to find Latoya's youngest with his nine-year-old brother in a headlock. Valerie gasped at the sight of his eyes, rolled back into his head, and his teeth bared as he held tight to his brother's neck, choking him. It took five members of staff to finally pry him away. With his eyes still rolled back in his head, the boy started shaking and was placed on a bed. When he finally settled down, he claimed to have no recollection of what he'd done. Later, with all the family gathered together, Valerie is joined by nurse Willie Lee Walker and a psychologist to deliver the painful news. Given the evident disruption occurring at the home, Valerie had little option but to recommend that the children be placed elsewhere for the time being. But just as she was about to go into further details, Latoya's youngest began to growl again, fixing his brother with an uncompromising stare. The others watched with alarm as his mouth broke into a strange wide smile before he then ran head first into his grandmother's stomach. Again and again he butted into her, his teeth clenched tightly together, until Rosa grabbed his hands and began to pray loudly over him. It's time to die, he said, as he wrestled to get free. Then all of a sudden, the boy stopped, walked steadily backwards and up the wall. The others could only watch with utter confusion as he continued moving up toward the ceiling until eventually he flipped over his grandmother and landed back on his feet. Valerie bolted from the room in terror. Later, when police asked her to go over exactly what had happened, the best way she could describe it was that the boy had glided up the wall. That night at the ER, Latoya and her youngest child were kept in for observation while Rosa took the other two home. The following day, they returned to the hospital where case manager Valerie Washington broke the painful news to Latoya that she would be officially separated from her children pending a formal investigation. Though she didn't express it explicitly in her report, Valerie had come to believe that the family really were suffering at the hands of a genuine evil. 
When the hospital chaplain then heard about the peculiar events of the previous night, he too came to the same conclusion. That afternoon, he contacted local reverend Michael Maginot to ask if he'd be willing to conduct an exorcism on the family. Father Maginot agreed to help, but only if the family contacted him directly. They called him the next day and made arrangements to meet at the Carolina Street property a day later. Maginot arrived at the house to find Latoya and Rosa waiting anxiously outside. Neither had been back since their visit to the hospital. Reassured by Maginot's presence, however, they made their way inside and invited him to take a seat with them in the living room. Over the next few hours, they told him about everything that had happened, from the abundance of flies in winter to all the times that they'd heard strange noises coming from behind the basement door, to the time Latoya caught a glimpse of a shadowy figure watching her from inside her closet. They had stayed in a hotel that night. Just then, the bathroom light began to flicker. But when Maginot walked over to investigate, the flickering abruptly stopped. Perhaps the demons are afraid of me, he wondered out loud. Returning to the sofa, Maginot was just about to speak again when Rosa interrupted. Look, she said, pointing to the blinds. They were swaying, but there was no breeze inside. After four hours of conversation, Latoya complained of a headache. Taking a crucifix from his bag, Father Maginot placed it on her head and she began to convulse violently. And when he pulled it away, she returned to her usual self. It was just as he'd suspected. Latoya was possessed. Maginot finished by sprinkling holy water in each room and made arrangements to get back in touch with Latoya to make a plan for the exorcism. In the meantime, he suggested they move out permanently. A few days after Father Maginot's visit, DCS case manager Valerie Washington made her routine visit to the house. The official purpose was to assess the family's living standards in which she was assisted by Captain Charles Austin from local law enforcement. However, with rumours about the apparent demon house beginning to circulate, two other officers tagged along out of curiosity. Latoya and Rosa met them outside, but with Latoya too angry after having her children taken away from her, it was left to Rosa to show them around. An anxious hush came over the group, as they cautiously made their way through the screen door and into the property. Footsteps cracked and creaked across the hardwood floor as Valerie made her inspection of the three bedrooms, bathroom and open kitchen, glad to find it all in good condition. Finally, they arrived at the basement door. Rosa led them down. Whoa, said one of the officers, when he caught sight of the peculiar table arrangement in the corner. That's just the altar, explained Rosa. Comprised of a white sheet over a table, with a single candle and a small statue of the Holy Family on top, they'd been advised to construct it by a local self-described clairvoyant when the strange events started happening. An open Bible and a burned stick of sage had also been placed on top of it. And that's where we think the demons are coming from. Rosa pointed to a large spot under the stairs, where the basement's concrete floor appeared to have been smashed open, 
almost as if something had erupted out of it, from out of the black earth that was now visible from underneath. One of the officers pulled out a video camera to film it, but when he went to press record, he found the battery light blinking on and off. The batteries were dead, despite being brand new that morning. Luckily, they had a spare device on hand. Rosa pointed out the various circles of salt they'd put on the ground to ward off the malicious spirits as the officer made a quick sweep with the camera. Satisfied they'd seen everything, the group returned upstairs. Relieved that it was over, Valerie and the officers thanked Rosa for her time and headed on their separate ways. Back in his patrol car, Captain Austin reached for the radio receiver when a violent blast of static burst out at the speakers. You in there? Austin drew back in shock. What the hell was that? came the dispatch voice from the other end. No idea, replied the captain. Later, when the officers watched the recording of their visit, they were convinced they heard a voice that didn't belong to anyone in the room at the time. And when they examined photos they took of the front of the property, they noticed something peculiar that seemed to be staring out at them from a window. Something with unusually large eyes and a gaping mouth. It looked as if it were screaming. Under further psychological examinations, Latoya's children spoke of shadow figures that roamed their home and how the children would sometimes go into trances. They spoke of doors slamming unaided and objects being moved around without anybody touching them. It was also discovered, however, that the children had been regularly missing school since 2009. Despite Latoya's protests that this had only happened recently because the unusual events had kept them awake all night, the DCS investigation concluded that she was in neglect of her duties as a parent. As a result, a temporary wardship was awarded to the state and her children were placed in care. With Latoya and Rosa now living with family in Indianapolis, Father Maginot took the opportunity to conduct a blessing on the house. Joining a second DCS visit on May 10th, he conducted the ritual in front of two police officers and Samantha Illich from Children's Services. As the Reverend conducted the blessing, flicking droplets of holy water into the furthest corners of the house, Illich made her way into the living room when she began to feel a sudden surge of pain in her little finger. It was as if something were breaking it from the inside. Then a tightness began to take hold in her chest. With a growing sense that the walls were beginning to close in and all light was diminishing, she ran for the door and burst into the street gasping for air as if she'd just broken the surface from out of water. After suffering a string of medical problems in the following weeks, including broken bones and burns from a motorbike crash, many of Illich's friends were left wondering if something of the house had ended up attaching itself to her. A few days later, Father Maginot received permission from the local bishop to conduct the exorcism on Latoya. One morning in June, Latoya arrived at the designated church in Merrillville to begin the ritual with Father Maginot. 
They were joined by the two police officers who'd assisted in the original house investigation and one other parishioner in case Latoya needed restraining during the procedure. Throughout that morning, Maginot railed at the demons he was convinced were hiding in Latoya's body. I cast you out, unclean spirit, he shouted, along with every satanic power of the enemy, every spectre from hell and all your fell companions, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. With his voice rising in volume, he pressed a crucifix against her head and her body convulsed wildly. And so the session continued, with Latoya's energy seeming to ebb and flow as the day went on. By the end of that day, sensing they'd made progress, Father Maginot gave Latoya a set of rosary beads to take home. Later that afternoon, after she'd left, however, Maginot found the beads ripped apart and abandoned in the parking lot. For the second exorcism session, Maginot decided that they'd need the names of the demons if they were really going to make it work. He suggested to Latoya that she look up the names on the internet, telling her that she would know them when she saw them. But when she tried to do it, her computer kept shutting down inexplicably. Instead, Maginot brought his own list of possibilities to the next session and had Latoya point out the ones she believed were responsible. Armed with two names, Maginot conducted the rite for a second time. This time, Latoya convulsed and cried out in pain whenever the names were shouted out, until finally it seemed she was too weak to carry on and fell asleep. After the second session, Father Maginot went on a retreat to prepare for the next one leaving a backup plan with an assistant in case there were any problems while he was gone. A piece of paper with the long name of a demon written on it that was then tucked into an envelope and surrounded with blessed salt. The assistant was to burn it if Latoya was in distress. Not long after the reverend left, Latoya called the assistant, complaining that she was suffering from terrible nightmares. The envelope was promptly burned and the nightmares apparently ended. With Maginot returning soon after, they conducted the third and final exorcism, this time in Latin. Maginot claimed later that although Latoya didn't understand the Latin, she remained quiet during the moments that God was praised, but convulsed violently during the condemnations. When the ritual was finished, Latoya fell asleep exhausted. When she finally woke, she claimed the demons were gone. That night, after Latoya had driven back home to Indianapolis, a storm ripped through the local area, knocking the power out for 24 hours. With local news getting wind of the incredible story, though the family were no longer living there, the house on Carolina Street became somewhat of a curio, with local police often even stopping by to take a look. Landlord Charles Reed was eventually forced to demand that the police stop coming because they were scaring the new tenant. He told the press that there'd been no problems before or after Latoya and her family stayed there. After having her children removed from her, Latoya was given a strict set of guidelines to follow in order to prove that she was capable of looking after them, which included the requests that she attend therapy sessions that she no longer discussed the notion of demons 
and an insistence that she work on different ways to discipline her children that weren't directly related to religion or the notion of demonic possession. In November 2012, having successfully demonstrated her commitment to the guidelines, Latoya's children were returned to her. She later said it was the happiest day of her life. The Department of Child Services closed the case in February 2013, stating that there'd been no demonic presences or spirits in the home. Latoya, however, remained convinced it wasn't the psychologist that helped, but God. When you hear something like this, don't assume it's not real because I've lived it, she said. I know it's real. If you enjoy Unexplained and would like to help support us, you can now do so via Patreon. To receive access to ad-free episodes, discount on merchandise, as well as brand new video and audio content exclusive to Patreon members, just go to patreon.com forward slash unexplainedpod to sign up. Or if you'd like to make a one-time donation, you can go to unexplainedpodcast.com forward slash support. All donations, no matter how large or small, are greatly appreciated. Unexplained the book and audiobook, featuring 10 stories that have never before been covered on the show, is now available to buy worldwide. You can purchase through Amazon, Barnes & Noble and Waterstones, among other bookstores. All elements of Unexplained, including the show's music, are produced by me, Richard McLean Smith. Please subscribe and rate the show wherever you listen to podcasts, and feel free to get in touch with any thoughts or ideas regarding the stories you've heard on the show. Perhaps you have an explanation of your own you'd like to share. You can reach us online at unexplainedpodcast.com or Twitter at unexplainedpod and Facebook at facebook.com forward slash unexplainedpodcast. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.